Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and hosted by myself, Sina Sadzada. In this episode, we are celebrating International Women's Month with Kathleen Breitman. Kathleen is the co-founder of Tezos, a blockchain-based smart contract platform with an on-chain governance mechanism to coordinate and push upgrades to its network. Prior to Tezos, Kathleen was a senior strategy associate for R3, a blockchain consortium of more than 70 financial firms. She's also worked at Accenture, Bridgewater Associates, and The Wall Street Journal. This episode was personally one of my favorites, and I can't wait for you guys to listen. So without further ado, let's jump straight in. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. It's very nice to have you. Thank you for having me. So I want to really jump in because we're doing this episode for International Women's Month. I, I as well, personally, I'm in the, within the Web3 space. I love you know Web3, and of, of course, Tezos falls into that. Within the tech industry, though, females are female founders especially usually tokenized within within industry um what advice could you really give to female founders so the temptation i would say like inordinately being um one of the few women in the cryptocurrency space has benefited me in the sense that like you know tezos doesn't have the biggest market cap it's not like the most popular cryptocurrency um at any given time but consistently we punch above our weight class in terms of like media engagement um, in terms of, you know, looking a bit more patrician. I think mm. a lot of it's because it doesn't have the same sort of machismo um, yeah. and uh, an aggressive like gambling culture that a lot of other projects have adopted. Um, and I like the expression, the fish rots from the head down. Mm. Um, and so I think kind of being in a, an implicit leadership role in, in a sort of project and being a woman in a male dominated field um, has helped us differentiate. Um, overwhelmingly, and it also means that like I get way cooler invitations than <laughs> mm. than than a lot of folks would would probably constitute. So um, in some ways, I I am very much tokenized, um, but I try not to make it my entire identity. Yeah, um, you know, some people only talk about their gender, they only talk about you know kind of like their role or their niche, and I find you know use it for what it's good for, which is being a differentiator. Um, and don't make it the entirety of like what you want to be known for. Mm. So how, how can say other women found, and you, and you did sort of touch on it there, but how do they go from not making it their identity, but more focused around their skill sets? Yeah, I, I would just say like, basically, you know, I have a few friends who are also female founders in either this space or like an adjacent space. And if they suspect that they're being invited to a conference because they're a girl, they mm. get very upset. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just accept the invitation. Uh, you know, it's, it's just like, don't don't sweat too much that someone's inviting you for something. Appreciate the opportunity for what it is. Um, and don't think too much about like what your identity is in the context of like the broader um, environment, just like see the opportunity and just try to seize it. Because basically there's a lot of infrastructure around trying to give women like basically overcompensating for the last 15 years, mm. <laughs> um, where there were basically no like notable female founders in, in, um, like large tech brands. And so a lot of folks are like explicitly trying to reach out and I would say like, just appreciate the opportunity and try to seize it, but don't make it the entirety of your identity. Um, yeah 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 i like never start a, a sentence with as a woman <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um you know talk about you know get down to brass tacks but like also appreciate that someone's trying to help you 
That's a really way, good way of putting it, I think. So the, before we jump into more detail, it would be great to know, for those who don't know, what is, what is Tezos? Yeah, um, so Tezos is a cryptocurrency. It's a smart contract platform. Um, one unique feature of Tezos that um, I've yet to see replicated by another cryptocurrency is using a super majority of token holders, um, basically new technologies and new parts of the code base um, are proposed and ratified, um, usually on a three-month cadence. So that's about four times a year. Mm. Um, so Tezos is a blockchain that upgrades in a decentralized fashion. Got you, got you. And where, where's other blockchains? Well, you know, I, I guess the most notable contrast is probably Ethereum, which took about eight years to upgrade to Ethereum 2.0, um, yeah, which was originally promised yeah. in like 2014. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and really the reason that that happened was because they, they upgrade through something called a hard fork, mm -hmm. um, which is more of a pain in the ass coordination mechanism um, than anything else. Whereas Tezos was designed with um, um, upgradability, uh, that's not really a word, but it was designed with evolution in mind. And mm. so basically there's a very formal forum and there's a very passive upgrade process. You don't have to like continuously sync and make sure that everyone's in check and have a big mm. roadmap. It's just part of the game plan. And then your your own personal journey though. So you started, you, you have, you've got experience within Accenture and, and R3. How, how did you actually recognize the opportunity to start a blockchain like Tezos, like Ethereum was around? And so what was the sort of like opportunity there? So, so actually the proposal for Tezos and the proposal for Ethereum are almost, um, almost from the exact same time, which is 2014. Um, but basically like uh, my husband was super early to Bitcoin. He has a very fateful, email draft from 2008 saying, I should check out this Bitcoin thing. Mm. <laughs> when it launches, it launched in 2009. Um, he didn't right away, but he did, you know, very shortly thereafter. Um, what's a funny phenomenon as look at AI, which is like the hot thing right now, is like people who are experts always feel like they're a last yeah. to come in. And actually, if you're, if you're that knowledgeable, you're usually quite first, but there's a little bit of like, I don't know, it's a version of imposter syndrome, I'm sure. Um, but he got in in like 2010 and got really into Bitcoin. And um, to be candid, um, and- <laughs> I mean, most, most of them don't. Yeah, <laughs> Most of the people yeah, that bought Bitcoin yeah. that early. He, he drank the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> and so I had to hear about it. And so he was always like fiddling with side projects. And there was a sort of like je ne sais quoi, like we like the idea, like yeah. it, there's some ways that it's very egalitarian and very lovely, um, and yet we couldn't find a smart argument for it on the internet. And so there was like, there's a there there, but everyone who's talking about this sounds like an idiot. <laughs> like there has to be a better way. Um, and so almost bored out of frustration that people were wrong on the web, um, Arthur started to like prototype what would you know eventually become Tezos. Mm. Um, but the you know the I guess number one. Uh, observation is that Bitcoin lacks a formal mechanism to upgrade itself, and that's all fine and good if you think that stasis is a, a benefit, which some people who really love Bitcoin do. Um, but just looking at the technological landscape in 2008, 2009, like it wasn't best in class. There's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of really cool innovation that's happened since, and it's been a struggle to cogently um, organize around that. Mm. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So when it comes when it came to so writing the plan for Tezos. What was a sort of like turning point in terms of both developments as well as like more like more mass adoption? Yeah, um, so that's a good question. I guess it's it's in two parts almost. Um, so there is this idea of like a blockchain that could upgrade itself. Um, you know, there's a few technical uh, qualifications that um, the 
bar had to be crossed before um, that was entertained any further. So um, there was a small group of a small development shop in Paris that helped um, realize if that was a thing or not. Um, so that was like maybe uh, like early 2014. Um, once that like initial, you know, uh, experiment was confirmed, um, there was basically just a group of group of dudes and, and maybe even some ladies like working on the code base for a while. Um, but there was no clear, there was no, this is very early in the cryptocurrency era. And like a lot of the early companies were like really struggling and not doing very well. So it wasn't super obvious that anyone should- What year was this? 2014. Got you. Um, so it wasn't super obvious that anyone should really quit their jobs and run off and, and, and commit yeah. to this. <laughs> um, by 2016, um, Ethereum had eventually launched and its first like application that had any success or renown was called the DAO. Mm -hmm. which was basically a smart contract that was meant to replicate the function of a venture capital firm. And it got a lot of like, um, you know, I, I say celebrities, but they're like, you know, celebrities with a lowercase C because they're like crypto celebrities in 2015 um, <laughs> to participate in like kind of promoting this. Yeah. And it failed spectacularly, meaning it was hacked, you know, a few weeks after it launched and a substantial amount of the Ethereum like tokens that were in circulation were absconded <laughs> by a thief. And so this this created a bit of a crisis in Ethereum land. And there was a little bit of like on Twitter, like, hey, whatever happened to those Tezos guys? Mm. And meanwhile, it had been like sort of a nights and weekends project um, for a lot of folks between Paris and where we lived in Mountain View. And um, I quit my job to basically see if it could be something bigger. Um, and that was like maybe September. 2016. What made you think though? Because like in 20, like that was so early, right? In I mean, it still is incredibly early now. Yeah. And like, what what sort of like made you want to commit your your full time to, to this? Like, um, I was 26. It was low opportunity cost. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think like to get me to do something like that bold and and wacky now, it would it would take a lot more than just like it's a good idea. <laughs> but like, where, where at that time, where did you kind of see? a blockchain like Tezos like going you just saw what happened to Ethereum like so what what like I, I mean you know the the not so secret secret is that like Ethereum for the first few years was basically amateur hour like um, Ethereum went down during its first major conference even the DAO hack like you know basically um, the the sort of vulnerability that um, was exploited was something that like is warned against explicitly in the Tezos position paper it's <laughs> yeah. like a reason to use formal verification um, so it was kind of like you know, on one hand, the industry wasn't very big and it was that perfect combination of like the industry wasn't very big and the people who had been attracted to it, like were just very amateurish. Um, so it was a little bit of like being opportunistic, but also like there's a reason this industry hasn't been successful and it's because it doesn't really value good engineering. Mm. And I guess we thought that that, um, that would eclipse at some point. I think it's still like kind of off from now. Like you see a lot of projects going down for hours and hours on end and no one really like yeah, cares. Like, time. <laughs> um, so I, I still don't think there's a big market for like good technological um, implementations, but you know, Tezos will be there when there is. So yeah. that was, uh, I, I think, I don't know what what you think in terms of this, but I feel like the, the, the perspectives are changing into the point where people are now like very much when they're buying crypto, they're, they're very much now looking towards the underlying technology rather than more the hype. I don't know if that's the current market condition that we're in, perhaps, but what do you kind of think? We can aspire towards that. Um, I think that's what <laughs> the problem is. Like, there's this there's a strong incentive to do what's called like decentralization theater, 
Yeah. Um, you know, a cute little hack is like in the Ethereum proof of stake system, you know, you can pledge like 32 tokens and that's like, a, you know, a validator and that's like a completely arbitrary thing. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> but know it's that. just to say like, oh, you know, we have this many valid, like, okay, well, you know, I suppose if you just call every token a validation token, yeah. uh, you could, you could also game that. So, um, there's a really great management book and it's, um, you make what you measure, um, or adage really. But, um, the idea is, you know, you kind of create incentives around, um, rhetoric first and um, sort of the proof is in the pudding if you know you actually have to land a rocket ship you can't you know BS your way through that mm. um, but you know in the in the cryptocurrency space a lot of the cults of personality and a lot of this other stuff is predicated on people being unwilling or unable to do technical due diligence themselves and the way that that's manifested has been to have like really sloppy projects deployed um, with gregarious figureheads who kind of assure you that everything will be okay, mm. um, even when it even when you know the house is on fire. <laughs> before before we go on to like more around uh, helpful advice in terms of scaling startups, because I know like people are very interested in that. I'd love to get your view on say the industry at the moment in terms of like what do you see in terms of positives and what do you see in terms of negatives in terms of the Web three space as a whole. I would say the positive is that the space finally has a reputation it deserves. Um, so for the last year and a half, like basically a lot of things that were pretty much obviously outright scams um, were doing well, mm -hmm. um, basically because there was a big momentum upwards and no one wanted to be the impolite person pointing out that the emperor had no clothes. Yeah. And I think really like Terra Luna was the first shoe to drop that created a big hole in the market. The bigger hole, big hole in my was. Pocket as well. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have a handful of friends who who lost money on that. No, it, it wasn't like, that much. It was like yeah. a weird. It was a weird, a weird spread. <laughs> it was like there was but no it's single like, like it's profile. Like, sorry to interrupt you, but it's yeah. just like like people. I don't feel like people understand how big that Terra Luna thing was. No, like, it's nuts. It yeah. was like that was like a top what 15 market cap coin. Like, oh, the, the it, it was the, actually the, massive. The the uh, the zombie coin that it left in its wake is still bigger than Tezos. So I mean, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then FTX, of course, being like the well, big yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail uh, of of this. So like, I mean, listen, you know, these people were doing like objectively terrible things and um you know in some ways like a, a strength of the space is that it kind of recovers no matter what because it doesn't really rely on like a third party to intervene it sort of like self-organizes in some ways um so that's a strength um another strength i would say is like i thought there was so much hopium and like complete nonsense being spewed about like what the capabilities of the software was that like something had to give and that it coincided with a larger um Mm. macroeconomic downturn because yeah that like i've been through so many different crypto cycles and like when the rest of the economy is thriving and crypto's down that's when like it really gets kicked <laughs> oh yeah this is more like hey we're we all you know we all suffered the last few months like mm. no one's really quite winning or losing compared to anyone else yeah yeah and um on the positive like um there are just just i you know going back to talent like there's just much better people in the ecosystem now than there was like even five years ago so um it continues to attract really excellent talent. And I think like of the top, and this is a stat that I read on Twitter, so who knows the veracity of the statement. <laughs> source <but> Twitter. <laughs> source Twitter, yeah, that's my source for most things. But um, uh, I think it's like the top five computer science departments in the US um, all have a course that discusses cryptocurrency or mm. is dedicated to like quote unquote blockchain, like but cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, and that's encouraging because like, you know, you meet the kids who come out of these programs and they're all like 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and that's a sort of like enthusiasm, low opportunity cost, and uh, and sense of adventure that like actually pushes innovation forward. For people listening, in terms of they've got their own Web three startup, do you have any sort of advice and guidance for them, like growing, especially in this market? Yeah, um, I like the Coco Chanel quote: "We can afford to be cheap." Yeah, um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of like a. Um, I know enough people who have children who are like in their early 20s that I'll, I'll speak to like friends, kids every now and again. And I do a lot of like scared straight, like yeah. <laughs> they want to do the next FTX, but better. I'm like, do you not see? <laughs> um, but like really just like study why something hasn't existed before, before you try to go into it. Yeah. Um, that is like the one folly of youth that I see repeated over and over again is um, not really um, indulging in Chesterton fences, not really like asking yourself why something's there in the first place. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that kind of goes back into um, different jurisdictions and different, like, um, obviously, regulatory environments. A lot of the DeFi stuff, decentralized finance, um, touches on things that have analogous uh, structures in, like, traditional finance and, like, yeah. learn about that first before you start to <laughs> do your, your alchemy <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. in an open source context. So. Um, that's, you know, the, the sort of negative advice I would give. The positive advice would be like, hey, you're young. This is probably one of the fastest moving industries that any anyone can get involved in. Um, for better or for worse, most of these repositories are open sourced. Yeah, yeah. And, and as well, another thing from like actually, actually getting engaged in the industry, going to all these events that I go to, people are very willing to help. That's something that I've seen that's very, it's not unique to this industry, but it's, it's a very big positive within this industry. People are willing to help, support, educate. And it's all these things that I think, you know, I really love this industry for, for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a good kumbaya sense. Um, mm. I, I got really into cryptocurrencies through Bitcoin um, before there was an Ethereum. And Bitcoin had like a much different tone to its culture than a lot of smart contract platforms. The smart contract platforms, your Ethereum's, your Tezos, your Avalanche, your like all these kind of, you know, all these different competitors within, within themselves. Like we all have pretty, like at least as a founder, like I have a pretty friendly relationship with a lot of my competitors in mm. a way that you wouldn't expect yeah. based on how grumpy people are on Twitter. Um, Twitter's not real life, but uh, <laughs> but all it's to say like, um, I think there's more common understanding and more common, common goals. Um, in the US there's been like, you know, some, some, some weird cutesy ways of trying to get um, kind of odious regulations into the space or um, implied in the space through things like a transportation bill <laughs> that, oh, would, that was going to tax NFTs, like what? Oh. <laughs> like highways, what? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, there was like a, a genuine like joint effort from different um, organizations and, and policy groups to like educate and, and, and push back on that. And you wouldn't have seen that 10 years ago. Mm. So. You mentioned, Kathleen, from one of your answers about FDX. I was going to ask you about this a bit a bit later to basically finish off the episode, but you mentioned it, so I thought it would be relevant to talk about now. Um, firstly, like from your point of view, like <laughs> how did that make you feel? And secondly, in terms of opportunities and setbacks, like what, what impact did FDX have on the overall industry? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I can't, you know, it's funny, like a lot of comparisons have been drawn between Sam Bankman Freed and Bernie Madoff and for good cause because they're both running Ponzi schemes. Um, what's telling about like character is, you know, Bernie Madoff, really bad person, still tried to keep his children and his wife out of 
being implied. Mm. <laughs> Sam Bigman Freed is like bringing his parents down with him. Like, like no, like this is like sociopathic levels. Yeah, of, the guy doesn't care. Like, yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah. I like I've never seen someone so like um, simultaneously self-destructive and lacking entirely like any. He, he was playing League of Legends like while the whole um, like while they were talking to him on like Zoom calls and being like let's try to fix yeah, this. He was like on League. He was like playing League of Legends and he stinks at League of Legends. Like if you're gonna like you know coast <laughs> off like that. oh no he's like a bronze I don't, I don't player. AOC, who's like a, a sort of celebrity congresswoman in the U.S., is like an elite player, and like that was she, her that was her one uh, contribution to the discourse that I thought was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he's not even good <laughs> at, at, at doing like the the sort of rude. Maybe and he's just practicing then, I guess. <laughs> uh, he he seems to need it, right? Um, and now he has a flip phone because he was using a VPN, and like he couldn't just say he was looking at porn. He had to he had to say he was like trying to get on to watch the Super Bowl, like <laughs> yeah. He's he's just like a bad liar, <laughs> um, so it's it's uh, it's embarrassing. It's mostly embarrassing for the space that like there were so many patrician VC firms and like people who were like. I don't know about this crypto thing, but this Sam Bakeman Freed kid seems great. Mm. <laughs> he was like the exception for a lot of people. He was, he was like a whiz kid, right? Like that's what he was considered as. I yeah. Know, you know, the thing is like he has a, I, maybe I shouldn't be inviting comparison, but he has an eerily similar background to my husband. Um, my husband went to like the MIT of France and then worked at, at an elite hedge fund doing ETF market making. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like maybe that doesn't like phase me as much. Cause like, it's, it's like, those are pretty standard credentials in a lot of like competitive finance jobs. Yeah. Um, a lot of what people were making good arbitrages on over the last few years in crypto, um, were that there were these really sloppy, like DeFi systems built by amateurs and you'd meet someone at, you know, jump or Jane street or one of these places and they would just jump in and exploit the hell out of them. Yeah. <laughs> the profile that Sam was in, he wasn't an ideologue. And um, I think Jeff Roberts at Fortune made the point before, like he was kind of, um, you know, exposed as a crook, um, that uh, it was kind of weird to have a figurehead who wasn't, didn't have an ideological or origin story. Mm. Um, anyway, FTX never listed Tezos, so as far as I'm concerned, that was everyone's <laughs> fair warning sign. Um, <laughs> that should have been the tell from the jump, uh, but here we are. Um, but yeah, I put everyone back quite a bit, and I think like um, showed to be like an extraordinary. I think it was more. Human. It was more the credibility of the space. Yeah, I think, big yeah, time. Yeah, but in terms of so back to the question, in terms of opportunity. So you talk about the setbacks. Yeah. Were there any opportunities that came from came from this? Uh, I mean, no, it's, it's been pretty much a net negative. Um, I think like the one thing that it's, it's done. So I think a lot of the, um, a lot of the distortion in the market from the last two years has been because, uh, venture capitalists were coming in and pumping in like absurd amounts of money and insane mm. valuations. So if there's one silver lining, it's that a lot of the valuations that, um, seemed indefensible, even in a very frothy market are definitely indefensible now. Mm. Um, so hopefully you'll see like the breakdown and the culling of a few projects that like kind of never deserved to exist. Um, but again, like that ties back to the fact that that's, it's not a good outcome. <laughs> um, it's a sensible outcome and I feel less like I'm taking crazy pills, but, um, but it, you know, it's still like, I feel bad when people lose their jobs, you know, it's like, it's not their fault that people, you know, the people at the top mismanaged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, as so we've talked about how the, the space has changed both in terms of tech and web three specifically. Um, so yeah, we've already spoken about that, but in terms of what needs to happen in like playing the leveling, le leveling the playing field uh, for underrepresented founders and people who are, who are working in the, in the space. Like, 
What are your thoughts there? I mean, you know, it's funny. It was just uh, International Women's Day. And there was mm. like, I got all these like um, promotional emails from like the place where I buy my linens and places where I buy my clothes and a podcast I listened to once, you know, yeah. all telling me how much they support women. I'm like, great, well then hire them. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, uh, you know, it doesn't take much. Like if you want to equal, like equal the playing field, like hire more women. Um, but it's it, unfortunately like, um, you know, people talk a big game with like what they want to do. But if you look around the, um, if you look around the offices a lot of a lot of these startups, they look all demographically very similar. Mm. Um, which isn't to say that, you know, diversity ideas isn't important as well as anything else, but just, um, you know, on, on the face of it, like I have a number of like, you know, girlfriends who are like interested in coming into the cryptocurrency space in some form or another, and they don't necessarily want to work with a, uh, you know, an L1 like Tezos, but maybe they want to work for an exchange or whatever. And they get like lowballed, right? Like on, on their comp and things like this. And they just go back to their big tech company because, mm. um, you know, the pay is more, more equitable in general, um, for a larger company. So, I mean, yeah, if you want more women or, or more, um, you know, diversity in your workforce, hire them, mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And I guess the advice goes more towards the decision makers rather than the actual people that want to work in the space, yeah. unf unfortunately. Well, I mean, there's also like just rank misogyny and like, you know, tone, but I, I don't think you're gonna like, um, in the cryptocurrency space at least, it, it takes on this like really aggressive um, tone that a lot of folks like really just, well, a lot of women, frankly, um, are immediately um, turned off by. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I'm most proud of is like visits to the Tezos.com website was at like gender parity, um, which I don't think really happens to many cryptocurrency projects. No, um, I've never heard that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, at least at least the month that I I maybe you like know, world of women and NFTs, but that's like that's maybe, separate. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Um, but uh, but all it's to say, like um, you know, I, I I there are a lot of like female creators who um, you know mint uh, NFTs on Tezos, and the overwhelming feedback that I get, which I don't deserve any credit for, is that like the Tezos community feels like a um, a genuinely like more wholesome uh, version of of a, a crypto project. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do about like vitriol on the internet, which is like an uphill battle that we're going to be fighting for probably the next few decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but what you can do is like try to reach out and try to like be a part of the solution by being, you know, welcoming, um, and very nice, uh, to people, even when, you know, it requires turning the other cheek. And, uh, and yeah, if you're in a position of power where you can, where you can hire someone like, um, try your best to spread a, a wide net. Um, you know, the best way to find a female candidate is to ask a strong woman <laughs> in your in your network. Uh, you know, who they would recommend because it tends to be that like attracts like. Mm, that's very true. That's very true. So you also talked about you've got female friends that want to go in the space, but they get lowballed. In terms of the other way around, in terms of like. Uh, like your female friends that want to get into the space but start their own companies. Um, what, what advice do you have for female founders right now getting into the Web3 space in terms of like fundraising, growth, recruitment, like everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, the unfortunate thing is like venture dollars really have dried up in the space. So it's, it's, it's probably harder than ever to get um, funding yeah. or harder than it has been in the last four or five years. Um, I don't think there's like anything gender specific I would, I would recommend, um, just like hang in there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and like try not to take rejection personally, like, um, just always be happy. Like, you know, even in the face of like, uh, really, really 
poor odds um, because I think people remember tone and your character uh, in the face of rejection and in the face of like sometimes harsh feedback um, uh, as, as part of your profile. And um, there have been a handful of times where like, you know, someone passed on an opportunity with me or they didn't want to like give money to something that I was, I was doing. Um, and, you know, you just stay friendly and stay in touch and like maybe it genuinely wasn't a good opportunity for them, you know, six months ago, but it yeah. will be in six months. So I guess I would just say like, you know, keep your chin up. Um, Try to be a happy warrior. Um, I think you know. Uh, every now and again, like I'll get a pitch and I I, I decline. And um, I always remember the people who send a gracious note after thanking me for my time anyway, over the people who like ghost and just I never hear from again. Mm, um, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's more general career advice, but I think it's just, uh, unfortunately particularly important for women because you know a lot of the attitudes and things that you kind of venerate in in male founders. Um, are often characterized as bitchiness in a female founder. Like I'm thinking of, there was this awful uh, hit piece on the co-founder of Away, the luggage company. And like, she was kind of playing hardball with her employees and kind of being a, a little gruff from yeah. some of the messages. But like, I mean, I've worked at hedge funds. I've worked in corporate environments. That's like basically a compliment in some of the places where I've worked. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like when it comes from a woman, it gets, it gets treated a little differently. So unfortunately, the bar for being pleasant in the face of um, difficulty is, is much higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, very last question. Actually, I've got one question on my own before, but like for this one. So we within this industry, that within Web3, yeah, as you said, like, there's probably less attention, less good attention compared to when the bull market was happening. But one market that's definitely take, taken off in the last like few months, I would say is generative AI. And um, a lot, it's quite funny, a lot of the people that were experts in Web3 a few months ago are now experts in, in like generative AI, but that's another, that's another uh, topic of discussion. Um, what impact do you think AI and generative AI will have on the crypto and blockchain space? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, two things: my my poor, long-suffering husband happens to be an expert in AI and also in cryptocurrencies, and he gave a talk a few years ago about how they were entirely dissimilar, mm -hmm. um, which is a tragedy because then the kids learn two things instead of one. Um, but he was working at Waymo and self-driving cars prior full time, so he thinks about this a lot. Um, he mostly thinks about AI in the sense of like, um, you know, obviously opportunities and cool stuff that can be automated. Um, but when it comes to cryptocurrencies, like fewer and fewer applications, right? Um, I think, uh, I, I think though that um, what's been cool is like some of the most popular art on the, the Tezos block art, like mm -hmm. AI art. Yeah. Um, and what's cool is like, it kind of tends to be that those artists are also very technically savvy. So they kind of like come for the art and stay for the programming. And it's really built this like nice organic community. Yeah. Because um, I, I find that like basically nerds have a lot of like common, you know, interests. And it's it's nice to see like some of them get, I don't know, the expression from XKCD is nerd sniped mm. um, and kind of fall down the rabbit hole both ways. So come for the art, stay for the stay for the block explorers or whatever. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then I want to ask you in terms of where do you see the next step within the crypto industry? Like, where do you see it going now? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunately um, like so. Yeah, the other day, for example, like a, a big bank in the U.S. that was like a main bank for um, a lot of big crypto firms, um, Silvergate, like saw, announced yeah. that it's going to be liquidated. Market, um, market went down because of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you bet it did. <laughs> um, but it's no, it's, it's very much the case that a lot of like the central actors that were onboarding folks into this ecosystem, like 
are really poorly managed um, in general, like FTX being, of course, like the Mac daddy of this um, and like per perhaps the, the uh, most embarrassing example, given the institutional money flowing into it. But um, all it's to say, like, no, it's been a really poorly managed industry. Um, and I guess like our best hope is that um, the next generation of entrepreneurs who come into this learn from the mistakes of folks before. Um, one thing that's striking, you know, I mentioned Bernie Madoff as a comparison for um, uh, uh, which has been made often, um, like quite a bit in the media. Another comparison is Enron, which did like, you know, you look at the history of Enron, you look at the history of FTX and it is almost embarrassing down to the tagline mm. <laughs> made for traders by traders. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's like they, they took the same playbook and changed nothing. So, um, what's the expression? I made it worse as well. Like it is, this is worse in my opinion. Yeah. Than I mean, personally, it's, it's, that's what I think. it's, it's, it's disastrous any way you cut it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, just different groups of people, right? Um, but uh, all it's to say, like, you know, those who don't learn from history are, are doomed to repeat it. Um, and uh, and that goes like double when it comes mm. to like things like software and like kind of esoteric business models. <laughs> Got you. And before you go on to the quick fire questions, I want to ask you, like, what do you think about uh, NFTs? Oh, I mean, I love the concept. Um, like, I, it's funny, like, um, I love art. Um, I'm not a collector by nature. I've noticed that that's like an archetype. Um, but yeah, minting on the Tezos blockchain, even throughout the bear market has gone up. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the marketplaces on Tezos have seen their best months in, over the course of like the most deepest, darkest, coldest crypto winter. Mm. Um, so I think it, from a cultural perspective, it's really lovely. Um, I like the tone and the tenor that it brings to the currency space, just being selfish. And yeah, it's it's been like um, one of the few ways that I've seen women come to the um, <laughs> come to the come to the industry. So I'll take what I can get. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but it could be more than just art as well in the future, right? Like, where do you see the future of that? Um, I think no, I think uh, I think music is is far more. I mean, I I. I mean, collect. I mean, I used to collect music back in the day, and now I just stream everything on Spotify. And so I think like music NFTs are a nice way to kind of bridge that um, cultural gap that like I, I, I sort of grew up with. Children today won't have grown up with, um, but maybe could in the future. Is like collecting music. Um, you know, the uh, one of the big success stories of the Tezos blockchain over the last year has been that it's used by a number of gaming studios. Um, and so I think like NFTs for in-game items are um, a trickier conversation, probably a longer conversation, but that's potentially something that's interesting. You know, if it can, it can, you know, find the right champion and find like a fun game. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, Kathleen, I've, I've absolutely loved talking to you. So we're just gonna wrap up the podcast with three quick fire questions. And uh, we always wrap up the podcast like yeah. this. So very first question, if you go to the pub with any entrepreneur, who would you choose? Oh, I mean, I would want to talk to Jeff Bezos sober. I would want to talk to Elon Musk after a few drinks. Um, <laughs> just, I, there are so many questions <laughs> about his life choices. Yeah, common answers, common yeah. answers. What's a startup you're loving at the moment and why? And you, I mean, Tezos probably isn't a startup anymore, but like you can't, you can't say Tezos. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know exactly what bucket Tezos falls into, but um, there's, a, there's a group of guys and I think a few girls uh, who work on this project, DNS.xyz, which is like domain name uh, services that it's on Tezos, it's on Ethereum. Um, it's just like a really good group and they all come from product land. Like tokenizing domain names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's a real, really good industry. It's like a, it's under, a great underrated. one. Underrated, people aren't really looking at it, but 
the amount of liquidity you can get with with that is is huge. Yeah, and it's it's like a really good team. So like they come from a product background, and I feel like that's what's really lacking in a lot of the cryptocurrency space is like this product mindset. Mm. You know, think about the user first, not like what sort of oh, weird God, dancing yeah. edge of the volcano you can it's do. Decentralized, like okay, so yeah, what? All like, right, yeah. like that yeah, that two seventy five brings you on the subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. last one. Fill in the blank. To be a founder, you must be optimistic. Optimistic is actually a new one. We haven't had that one before. Yeah. I don't think we've had that one. Before. I think you. I think you. You can't think too much about the odds. We've had. We've had favorite. resilience. Yeah. We've had collaborative. We, but we haven't had optimistic. So that's a really good answer. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. And thank it's been an absolute me. pleasure. Um, how could people stay in touch with you, Tezos, going into the future? Sure. I mean, all, on all the social media things, I'm Bright Woman. So uh, my last name is Brightman. I thought this was more more feminist. Um, and uh, yeah, Tezos.com. It's an unclaimed. It was an unclaimed.com when we when we got it. So really? <laughs> yep, we're squatting on it. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. Now, my question for you is, have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, now's the time. We've got some incredible episodes lined up for you this series, so keep an eye out. The next episode will be with you in the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, though, why don't you catch up on our previous episodes? Thank you so much for listening again, and we'll catch you in the next episode.